Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. All right, in this episode, we'll look at Lola.com, which is a B2B travel platform founded by the creators of Kayak. I'm speaking with their CEO, Mike Volpe, and Mike was hired into the business about a year and a half ago. He was previously the founding CMO at HubSpot, so he brings a pretty interesting perspective as someone who used to be a CMO and now is a CEO, and so clearly has more growth levers that he controls as a CEO. So we'll uh, we'll get his perspective on that. Uh, since joining Lola.com, the company's done really well. They had just kind of dialed in the product market fit as he as he was joining the company, and so they've really accelerated. I'm sure part of that is having good product market fit, and part of that's having the right leader in place. And so we'll talk a bit about some of the things that he's done, in particular, some of the challenges and opportunities in driving adoption after the sale. So that's pretty unique to a B2B SaaS business is once you've made that initial sale, you still need to get people to use the product. And so some of the things that they're doing around driving that adoption, but we cover a lot. So let's go ahead and get started. All right. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to dig into this with you. So I've been looking at what you've been doing at Lola for a while and, and kind of digging into the data before getting ready for this podcast. It looked like uh, potentially, I mean, it's really hard to see with external data, but it looked like growth had maybe flattened out a bit before you got to Lola. But since you've been there, it seems like it's really accelerated quite a bit. So I'm curious what gave you the confidence to uh, to, to want to take a risk on a company like Lola and, and made you feel like you could be successful there. Yeah, there was, it was sort of less of a flattening out and more of a, uh, the company had tried a couple different business models, more on the consumer side of travel. The founder of the company is a guy named Paul English, who was co-founder of Kayak. And so when he started Lola, he was looking to do sort of a, a new version of consumer travel app. And what they found was just that their most active users were business travelers. And that kind of in this whole journey of finding product market fit led them down the road of going after B2B travel and corporate travel management. And it was around that time that they had sort of built the MVP of that product that Paul, uh, I've known him for a number of years because we're both entrepreneurs here in Boston, um, grabbed me to have breakfast and just hang out and chat. And, um, and actually asked me about joining the business because other, they had less B2B kind of, you know, SaaS, SMB kind of go to market expertise on the team. Um, and I got really excited about both the opportunity to work with Paul and the team that he had put together, just knowing how, uh, amazing a product he, he and his team had built a kayak. And then also got really excited about the market. I mean, I think it's, there's $1.3 trillion that's spent on business travel every year. And the vast majority of it in the small to medium-sized business segment is still run and purchased through consumer sites like Kayak. And it just seemed like there was a really big opportunity there within the mid-market. And it just uh, it just felt like the right thing to do. But, you know, big market, an opportunity to work with Paul. It just felt like it'd be an exciting new challenge. That's awesome. So Paul stayed involved. What, what role did he? Yeah, no. So he, he gladly gave up the CEO job because there's many aspects of it that are, are not where he gets his energy from. Yep. And he is a, a product and engineering uh, guy through and through. 
And uh, so he's full time on product and engineering. And so he does a lot of work with the design team, product managers, uh, and then a lot of work with the engineering team, too. Awesome. And so you mentioned that part of you coming in was dialing in on that product market fit and seeing that it was that the opportunity is more on the business side. So it's a good segue to get into uh, a, a bit about what the product is and and what what product market fit potentially looks like there, value proposition, how you guys make money. Can you, can you touch on some of those things? Yeah, sure. So we, uh, we help companies uh, save time and money and better manage all of their corporate travel spend. And so the value proposition there is number one, the company and the finance team get better control and visibility over the flights and hotels and other travel-related things that people are purchasing. Uh, the second aspect is, uh, and I'll go into more detail on this in a minute, is that we actually help companies save money because we have access to $40 billion in buying power that um, gets better negotiated rates. Uh, and that's something that's you know exclusive to Lola and this partnership we have with American Express. Uh, and then the third piece of it is that we can help make your employees and your travelers a lot happier uh, because it's a really simple, easy to use app that people love. And then we also have 24 seven human driven support from travel experts. Um, so you're not leaving your employees out there to call, you know, an airline and wait on hold for 30 minutes anymore. They're getting proactive, uh, support from one of our agents as soon as they detect that there's a problem. So it's really kind of a win-win. And one of our customers, uh, which is a software company called Flywheel, it, the VP of finance rolled Lola out and he said it was the first time he ever got emails from employees saying, thank you for rolling out this new tool. Oftentimes finance is kind of the, you know, lockdown, you know, employees don't like all the tools and systems and processes you're putting in front of them. Uh, but this was the first time he ever rolled something out and employees said, you know, thank you. This is such a better, easier process. I love the service. Like this is amazing. And on the flip side, he's like, wow, no, I have better control and visibility over our travel spend. So it's kind of a win-win. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, as, as uh, I was talking about before we got started, I spend so much time on the road these days that I definitely, I understand some of the pain. It's business travel. It's more, you know, in, in me as an individual booking and managing that business travel. So would I, would I kind of fit within that target market or is it, is it really when it's uh, more of a, a, a company that you've got, you've got you know, processes and things that, that need to go together there. You'd be, I mean, an individual, yeah, an individual like you would be a little bit atypical. The value prop for you would be uh, the potential to save some money through those negotiated rates that we have that are exclusive to us and then better, and then better service. Yeah. That's um, how I, I was thinking well. that the 24 yeah, hour support kind of jumps yeah, out. Yeah. That would jump out to you. I think, you know, the, the value prop we have around control and visibility and making sure that, you know, employees are buying $2,000 flights from Boston to San Francisco that's something you care less about because you're spending your own money. And so you're buying the things that you want to buy and, and actually you're, you're potentially even getting reimbursed by clients and things like that. So there would definitely be some value prop for you, but I'd say the, the core market we um, strive after is definitely companies that are sort of above, you know, 20, 30 employees and higher than that. Uh, and then we don't, we don't try to sell into the world's largest enterprises because um, there's a product from SAP called concur which kind of uh, has a pretty good seating in that market. And there's just a bunch of, you know, as soon as you get to a company with, you know, 10,000 employees, there's a whole level of complexity there that uh, we don't, you know, currently address super well. So we're really kind of firmly in the mid market. And then, so you touched on the, that a lot of these companies were previously kind of booking through the consumer platforms. And was there anything else they were doing? Um, no, I mean, the finance team would sort of the problems with that were, you know, somebody would book a flight on kayak and, the employee would think it would be within the company's kind of, you know, guidelines. Um, but maybe they bought a premium economy, you know, extra legroom seat. They weren't supposed to. 
but they wouldn't know that at the time that they're buying it. And then the finance team doesn't learn about that until the employee's already paid for the flight and their credit card, taken the flight, and then puts it on their expense report. And then all of a sudden, finance is in this awkward position of being the you know, the bad person going back to the employee being like, well, I can't reimburse you for this whole flight because it didn't conform to a policy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you have that real-time visibility or the person buys it, they're seeing if it's in or out of policy at the time that they're buying it, they're probably saving money on buying it through Lola in the first place. And then the second that purchase is made, finance can actually see it. Um, and if they need to make any adjustments at that time, they can. So it's, it's again, it's really taking everything from kind of this real time-lagged sort of world with a lot of uncertainty to give employees the certainty that what they're buying, um, you know, is the right thing for the business and conforms all the rules and gives finance the ability to kind of see things in real time uh, and just have that assurance that everything's going the right way. And they, and then finance can put up those guide rails without having to having to hand slap afterwards for, for, for booking the wrong kind of stuff. Yeah. It removes those really awkward conversations afterwards. Um, and again, it's also just great as a business, maybe you're spending only a few hundred thousand dollars on travel, but to pool that with, you know, thousands of other businesses and even some very large businesses through American Express. And then, you know, to get rates from the airlines that are based on 40 billion in buying power, uh, you know, versus $400,000 in buying power gives you a lot of leverage as well. Mm-hmm. That's That makes a lot of sense. So I, I'm sure a big factor in all of the growth success that you've had then is just just the, the right product and market and that value proposition really resonating with with uh, what customers' needs are right now, but what what else would you attribute the the growth to? Um, I'd say it's it's also a really fast, simple, easy product. I think that this industry is, um, you know, it, when you say to someone, "Oh, you have a corporate travel system," I think the stereotypical thing they picture in their head is something that was designed in 1996 and is super clunky and slow. And when you demo Lola, people are like. Oh, like what? This is different than what I expected. Uh, and then when they go to implement and use it, it's just so fast and easy. I mean, we have you know really high adoption rates um, that happen very quickly, and we have customer success people that will handhold our customers through the process. But a lot of our customers actually get the first email after they sign up, and they actually self on board. And so, you know, if you want, if you want the help, we're there to help you. And we have customer success team, but oftentimes they're really just doing kind of a little bit of troubleshooting or, uh, you know, addressing any sort of issues that came up along the way and not, you know, getting people into the product initially. Cause it's, it's one of those things we have a consumer product driven product team. And I think that that's really helped the growth a lot. We've been able to, I think, have require less investment on the people side, um, to support the customer base, which just gives you a lot more ability to lead on the growth side. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that like that that kayak background. I think you're seeing it in so many so many business applications now. If you can take really good consumer experience people, and you know, the, it's still people inside businesses that have to use these products, and and being able to be really in you know build really intuitive interfaces that uh, are are easy to use. And so that's that's pretty cool having that. And kayak is is really well known for being super usable and good on the consumer side. So it makes sense that that background will help you guys quite a bit. Yeah. Paul would argue that kayak has gotten worse <laughs> and they've added like too many bells and whistles and lots of stuff that's kind of distracting in the past couple of years since he's been gone. Uh-huh. But I think that it, it was definitely known as a super fast, I mean, just, you know, the fastest meta search uh, product out there and super easy to use. Uh, I, and lots of people, I mean, I fell in love with that product early on and it's a great product. 
So, so when you compare your experience, I mean, we, we got to know each other when you were at HubSpot. Uh, I know you've, you've done some other things in, in between, but when you compare your sort of HubSpot experience, for one thing, like I, one of the things I think that HubSpot's done really well over the years is that they've, they've not creeped into the big enterprise side, that they've, they've kind of served that wide end of the market where customer acquisition and retention and conversion become really important. And it's, and it's less about super enterprisey sales process. Um, how does that relate to what you're doing now? And is that, what, what are the areas where it's maybe more challenging what you're doing and where, maybe where you have different types of opportunities in what you're doing? I think it's really interesting because I think most companies, as you get, once you get to a certain point of scale, your growth needs to come from either um, having a broader and broader solution, or your growth needs to come from serving a larger number of companies within, but within the same type of solution, meaning that you maybe start mid-market, you go to enterprise, but with the same type of solution. And um, HubSpot, I think we debated that actually for years. Uh, but I think we, at the end of the day, smartly chose to produce a broader solution, but stay focused on the bid market. And there's a slight drift up market, but also a slight drift down market. So there is a little bit of broadening there, but mostly it was moved from marketing to sales to CRM to now service and, you know, all the other things. And that was kind of like the growth trajectory. But you're right. I think the classic growth trajectory with the, with the SaaS company is to stay within your vertical, but then march up into the enterprise and continue to serve those smaller businesses, but also do the much bigger deals. You know, for us, I think what we found is early on, we thought that maybe the best target market would be under 50 or under 100 employees. I think what we've learned is it's more likely to be 500 to, or sorry, 50 employees to maybe 1,000 employees, kind of in that range. Um, but I don't think that we have any big plans to go up into the enterprise enterprise. Um, a, because I think that some other folks in the market that are doing that, and B, I think our real DNA, I mean, we have, a, it's a blend of Kayak and HubSpot DNA, and none of that screams enterprise. It really screams getting very good at the S&D market. And so that's really where we're focused. So I, I think you'll see us um, think more about the growth plays, more like HubSpot has done. Yeah. And then, um, you know, you mentioned that when you came in, Paul moved more into the uh purely focusing on the product side and, and clearly your, your background as CMO at Ofspot means that you've, you've got a lot of strengths on the, the marketing side. Have you, have you kind of been able then to just, just trust that he's got the, the product side probably pretty well dialed in and, and it has freed you up to do more, more marketing and growth as CEO or how do, how do you kind of fit uh, marketing growth into your time as CEO? Yeah, he and I definitely don't only color, you know, inside the lines. And there's definitely, you know, him pitching in on the sales and marketing side of things and me pitching in on the product side of things. But I think that one of the things that made me feel really good about taking my first CEO job here was that, um, you know, we had Paul um, and just such a great leader in terms of product and engineering. And that was the part of the business that I had the least experience with. And so I was really excited uh, and I thought that that would sort of position me well and the company well to be successful. Um, but yeah, I think he and I both spend a lot of our time thinking about growth. I think we come at it from different angles, but a lot of times, you know, I'll, I mean, I just recently last month came to him and said, okay, here's where the conversion rates in our process could be higher. You know, what can we think about from a product perspective to help improve that, right? Um, or here's the major objections we're hearing in our sales process. 
should we prioritize some of those things in the roadmap? And so a lot of our conversations, almost all of our conversations are related to growth and the intersection of, you know, sales marketing product. Mm -hmm. Well, that's awesome. Cause I, I think that that's more and more realization over the years is just the whole kind of interdependence of, of conversion and retention and engagement and monetization. And if you don't nail those things, customer acquisition is really hard to, to scale profitably. And, um, a lot of times it's just, it's, it, you're coming at it from such different, uh, kind of viewpoints as uh, from, from the marketing side and then the, the, you know, product and engineering side. So I, I think given that, yeah, as, as founder, having someone on the, the product and engineering side that cares a lot about the big picture and growth, and then you, your ability to collaborate with them has got to be a, a huge advantage for you guys. Yeah, it, it works really well. We've got a really good thing going here. And this is Paul's fifth company. So I think the good news is it's not either of our first rodeo. And I think we've, uh, again, still have a ton to learn. And we're always sort of learning new models and new things like that. But I, I think we both have an understanding of how a lot of the growth of a company really comes from being in the right place at the right time and having everything really well aligned and pushing in the same direction. Um, and that means kind of having, you know, product sales, marketing, all of it kind of like, you know, even customer success and service and support all sort of like tightly aligned around who the target customer is, what the growth trajectory is, like, how do you get those folks on board? Where do you find them? How do you make them successful? All mm -hmm. those things. So how have you organized those teams? They're, they're organized relatively traditionally. Um, you know, uh, Paul manages product and engineering. Um, I manage the rest of the stuff and uh, sort of more of the go to market side of the house. And then, you know, also finance and ops. But I'd say we get that team together. We don't do the weekly management thing, uh, team meeting thing. That was actually something from HubSpot where we didn't do weekly um, kind of, you know, 90 minute meetings. We did um, monthly full day meetings. And I really liked that because it turned those meetings into a little bit more kind of thinking time and debating time than a, you know, let me list off the five things I'm doing so I look good in front of my peers time. And um, and we've adapted adopted that here at Lola. So we get the full management team together monthly. And usually Paul and I meet in advance and pick the like, you know, two things we're going to dive into a debate. And, you know, we've got that meeting coming up next week. And part of what we do is go through the numbers from last month. And part of what we do is go through a couple of larger strategic issues. Um, and we give that team an opportunity to work very cross-functionally uh, and sort of debate a lot of the key issues. That's that's amazing. I actually hadn't heard that HubSpot does uh, monthly cross-functional leadership meetings. I uh, that that makes a ton of sense. It's probably yeah, it's probably a little different now because uh, it's a much larger scale business with like you know thousands and thousands of employees and global, and there's probably a little bit more tactical coordination needs to happen. But yeah, for the first eight nine years, uh, there was no you know weekly management meeting, and it was a monthly. We called it an offsite, but we would do it in the office. <laughs> um, but it was, but it would, it would had the feeling of an offsite where you were really kind of sequestering yourself for a day and debating a lot of the key issues. That's yeah. I mean, I, so much of my time now is actually facilitating those meetings with companies. So I'm I'm bringing together cross functional leaders and do like a single full day offsite and being able to see teams that in a lot of companies the the functional leads spend almost no time talking together. Or like you said, they're just, they're, they're doing a quick report in a weekly meeting, but there's no collaboration and discussion and what's the big picture goals and how do we work together to achieve those goals? And so I've seen just the power of doing that just a single time, but to do that on a monthly basis seems, 
seems amazing. That's I'm I'm uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, your job as CEO is definitely to make a lot of the linkages cross functionally, and there'll be a lot of times where I see one group, you know, doing or saying something. And I'll kind of plug them into another group and say, oh, you really need to talk to this person and see if you can kind of align on this thing. Um, but it's even better if I don't have to do that because there is that cross-functional work happening without me. Um, and so we definitely try to instill a lot of that. And we have the benefit that we have a very short sales cycle because we're in the mid-market. And so you know, we close our books monthly, sales quotas are monthly, like everything we do is a monthly cadence to the business. And that really gives us the ability of every month, there's like new data that's worth looking at, you know, versus in the enterprise, I've been places where if you got together monthly, there wouldn't be a whole lot to talk about, because it's really more of a quarterly cadence. Yeah, big pipeline discussion more than anything else. Right, right. I'm sure you, each of the teams have their own sort of uh, set of goals and objectives and metrics that they're they're individually responsible for but then is there is a kind of a, a broader north star metric and in those meetings do you talk about your kind of kind of broader mission and and progress on that mission or is it is it super tactical or how, how do you kind of balance between those things yeah i um a couple of things we adopted the salesforce i don't know what you even call it it's called a v2 mom it's vision values methods emissions and metrics and so, or actually they say measures, but measures and metrics are the same thing. And so that's what we use to really align the company. And then each department has their own. And, you know, so we've got two major goals for the company in there. And I think we actually have like, uh, one, two, three, I think we actually have four key ways that we measure those metrics. So I, we don't have like one North Star metric, uh, but the couple things we're really focused on now without going into the, like, the specific detail on it is continuing to have the number one product in the industry. Because I do think that, having the world's best product is really key to our success. And then number two is continuing to focus on having really good unit economics uh, because we're in a market now. There's just so much VC money available and we've raised a lot. We've raised over 80 million, but we have competitors and other companies of industry that have raised a hundred or 500 million and they're doing some unnatural things. And I want to make sure that we're always building sort of a healthy business. That's kind of like the second you know thing that we sort of keep ourselves in check on. Um, but each, but we have that V2 mom and that describes kind of our vision, our mission, um, and all the things like that for both the company. And then each of the leaders of the different departments have theirs as well. And we talk about that stuff in every single, we have a monthly, you know, all hands team meeting, uh, where we review all the metrics with the team and the other key initiatives we have working on. And that's where we sort of stay aligned on that stuff. And then is, is just like overall profit growth or overall revenue growth then the leading over overall metric. I mean, you know, you said there's not sort of a single North star metric, but, but ultimately it feels like, yeah. How, how do you know you're making progress on mission and, and vision? I mean, there's ways to measure that you have the best product. I mean, we do have the highest ratings. If you look at like our star ratings and customer review sites, uh, you know, we also look at NPS, we have like a customer satisfaction thing that goes out every time there's a customer service interaction. So, you know, for, in terms of like having the best product, there's a couple of metrics we use there. Uh, and then unit economics, it's all sort of the typical SaaS math, LTV to CAC can probably be the one that kind of rolls up the key aspects of that. Although there's always, you know, one piece of it or two pieces of it that you're usually trying to work on as a business. I mean, if you had to push me, push me on one, one thing, it probably would be revenue growth. But the reality is, if I spent a kajillion dollars to get that revenue growth, and it was a <laughs> yeah, terrible gross margin or whatever, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So it's like, it's, it's hard. I mean, we, we just were in that annual planning season and I just had a board meeting where we talked about how 
you know, the plan for next year, it's like there's a lot of things you can balance here. It's like you can have really high growth if you have bad unit economics and horrible cash burn, or you can have really great cash burn and unit economics, but you have really bad growth. And, you know, all, all those things are kind of a balancing act. And, and we're trying to, you know, to grow, but also grow smartly um, because we feel like, you know, especially you look at the WeWork IPO and things like that, the idea that you can burn money forever um, just isn't a thing. And so, again, growth is very important, but it needs to be growth in the right way. Yep. Now makes makes a ton of sense. So let, kind of going back out to the the individual customer and and thinking about how uh, a company initially discovers you and then you know they they get to the state where uh, as you said they're they're writing into their finance team going oh my god I love this thing what's what's sort of the path that that they follow to get there? I yeah the major paths are either um, word of mouth or somebody who's heard of us or used us in a prior company or things like that. Or they're specifically in the market and searching and looking. And so either search for us or just, you know, directly type in Lola.com um, and then find us. And then it's usually a pretty short sales cycle, less than 30 days in most cases. Um, and then from there, another key part of the journey is after they purchase is, uh, is actually the implementation and the rollout. Because this is the kind of thing that is purchased by a small group of people in the company, but it's used by a lot of people in the company. And so that's just a really critical aspect of getting from, you know, the buy-in that you had from the finance department and maybe somebody in operations or maybe the EA or an office manager and getting from that to the whole company using it and buying it. Mm-hmm. So how much experimentation have you done to help uh, drive acceleration inside a company once that initial groups bought it? I'm sure that there's yeah. learning that happens between these companies that, that could probably be communicated to other companies. Yeah, we, you know, we've done some of that, but I think that again, we've, we've only been selling for 14 months and um, we've definitely learned a lot in that process, but I don't know, I would I would not give us an A or a B I'd give us a C on our post sale, like implementation, customer success, sort of experimentation. I think we do a really good job of that. And mostly because the metrics are actually pretty good. We haven't really prioritized a lot of experimentation there. Um, but I think that's a real opportunity for us is to do more there. We've definitely done a few things on the app side of different notifications and what that onboarding experience is like on the product side. But I think there's a few other things we're thinking about trying that we haven't yet tried on the people side of that experience. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, one of the things that seems a little bit different with what you're doing compared to, say, a Slack where um, you know if Slack doesn't have majority of the people buying into it, it's not going to stick in a company because, you know, you can't have multiple communications platforms with what you're doing. If, if, uh, if you had some laggards that are still booking travel the old way, you could still somewhat be successful inside of a company. At least that's my perception. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. So it's, it seems like maybe there's a little less pressure. Yeah. I, well, I'd say that, 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 yeah, that knife has two edges, right? And so the one way that it cuts is we're not going to get kicked out if you have 90% adoption. Uh, whereas at Slack, if you have 10% of the company not using it, um, it's probably not going to happen. But I, but you're probably going to get kicked out or you know, it would be a problem. But the flip side is if you have 10 travelers that use it and love it, it doesn't suck the rest of the company in as much. There's the word of the mouth, the mouth effect and things like that. But it's not like the fact that you're using it to travel necessitates that your coworker uses it, right? Like you're not, you know, it, so it's, there's that knife definitely cuts both ways. And so you're right. The positive is we don't get kicked out if we're not hundred percent adoption, but 
we also don't have as many forces like viral effects that help them go from, you know, five people in the company to 500 people in the company. Mm -hmm. But it also feels like then over time, you have an opportunity where probably inside your existing customer base, there's still expansion opportunities as you, as you dial in, how do you, how do you, how do you get better at driving referral? What, what are the triggers that get existing employees to bring in other employees onto the platform? Oh yeah. No, there's a million things we can do in that area. And there's a hundred things we have done in that area. I, I think, you know, in, in some ways it's never going to be, you know, Slack is like the classic example of something like that. And it's never going to be quite as strong of that because the whole point of that product is to communicate with your fellow employees, but you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a million little things and, and things that we have done. Like there's a, a really cool feature that makes it really easy for someone to book on behalf of another employee. So often used by EAs or office manager, and that really helps spread adoption. There's cool ways for people to share a trip. So let's say you're going to Dreamforce and you you can easily share your trip and someone can easily like rebook the same itinerary so they can get on your same flight and stay in the same place. So there's definitely things like that. And there's more things we can do in the product there that sort of help with that. Um, but again, you know, it, it, to a certain degree, you're starting to put yourself up and say, like, are we ever going to have the virality that Slack has? And the answer is probably no. But I think there's other ways, other things we can do in terms of you know, word of mouth and like other things like that, that we could do that really drive a ton of growth in different ways. Mm -hmm. So if, if you don't stick in an organization and, and if, if you don't feel comfortable answering this, that's not, not a problem, but if you don't stick in a, in an organization, what would be a typical reason that they would, would give up on using Lola? Um, I would say if you've got a small number of travelers if you've got a finance team that doesn't care too much about saving money and that small number of travelers are really frequent on the road every single week and they've got their whole system down, like they only stay at Marriott's, they book everything through the Marriott app, they only fly American Airlines, they book everything through the American Airlines app and they've just and they just are maybe, you know, been doing it that way for 5 years and they do not want to change and they have and they have status at Marriott and American Airlines and they get good service from them because of that. And it's only those three or four travelers and maybe some EA buys it because, um, you know, she thinks it'll make her life easier for booking for a couple other people or things like that. But it's hard. It's hard in an environment like that. If it's small number of travelers that are really stuck in their ways, um, you know, I'd say it's situations like that. But I'd say usually, you know, as long as you do a good job of making sure you're selling on both sides, so you're selling to both um, the uh, finance department and like the operations side of the business and some of the travelers that are going to be using it. It's hard to sell to all of them, but you kind of get both of those groups on board, then you can be really successful. And is there any limitation on, on perks for the road warrior in terms of, you know, you mentioned like Marriott points or, or airline points, or is there anything that, that they're not? No. So one of the, the yeah, no, one of the things that's really special about us is uh, we let all the people earn all of their points you know, for any hotel room, typically we'll have six to eight different rates available. And some of those will be through Expedia and will be non-refundable and super cheap, but won't have points and they won't be refundable. And then some will be through the hotel directly and they'll give you double points or something, or they'll give you points, and but it'll be refundable. And some may be through a different channel. So we're, we have like multiple places that we source all that stuff from and people can kind of pick and choose. So if points are important to you, you can always get points through us. Um, 
And we've sort of just said, you know what, we try to be kind of agnostic in terms of those programs. And we automatically apply points if you're booking and things like that. So one of the things I love about it is I've got all my stuff saved in Lola. And then whatever airline or hotel like I'm buying from, it's literally like two clicks because it's got my credit card saved, it's got all my numbers saved and whatever. And it just knows, you know, when I'm buying a Hilton, like I should apply the Hilton number and I don't need to like, you know, type everything in. So just it makes all that stuff easy. Um, but yeah, no, we're definitely... Um, we try to let people earn their points as much as possible. That makes sense. Yeah, I just took a trip to Brazil that was two red-eye flights for one night in Brazil. So two red-eye flights in three days. And I was thinking, well, at least it's business and I'm getting some points for this. And then I look on my ticket and it says no points because the airline was a sponsor of the event. And so I'm like, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, sometimes that stuff, it's it's funny, like the travel industry, man, it, there's a lot of like little details, a lot of asterisks yeah. in terms of the terms of conditions of a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly that travel became a little more painful. <laughs> um, well, cool. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about everything you guys have done with Lola. It's uh, as you, as you walk through the story there, it's amazing. I guess one, one last question that I would have uh, is if you look back at, uh, at what, what you did previously and, and you've been there now about a year and a half, is there anything that you've learned about growth in that year and a half that, that you feel is kind of, uh, Kind of reshape your thinking around growth in, in that year and a half that you want to end with? There's things that you know intellectually, and then there's things that you, you feel and really know in your heart and your gut. And I'd say something that having run marketing previously, I knew was how important product was to growth. And now being CEO, it's gone from something I know in my brain to something that's like, in my bloodstream and is in my heart and my gut. Uh, and so I'd say that's the thing where, again, as someone who had less experience in the product side of things, you knew intellectually how important it was, but now it's like, I feel it every single day. Um, and so I'd say that's the one thing, especially in this day and age where, um, you know, a lot of the other marketing channels have gotten a lot more crowded, having that world's best product that stands above the rest. And is, it is the product being a key part of the growth is just so important. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, th I think um, from a sustainable growth perspective, you can you can figure out a single channel that can refer a lot of people. But again, that channel may dry up or the economics may may fall apart in that channel. But when when your growth is is driven off of having a great product and particularly like with with uh, more and more referrals off of uh, excited customers who are using that product, it just you can you can ultimately build a, a, a long burning fire of growth much better than you can in sort of the, the hit driven channel driven, uh, just, just kind of blast some people and then, and then need to figure out the next good way to, to get a bunch of people in. So yeah, that, no, you're right. All those things. And then also net dollar retention being, you know, greater than hundred percent because there's opportunities to, you know, have customers, you know, earn more revenue for you through usage and through upgrading new features and things like that too. So it's, it's all those things. And then even year on year, if the customers themselves are also growing, that's fantastic too. Yeah. And that, it's just that whole interdependence I think is, is probably the hardest part of growth is because now just as, as we were, were touching on is that you've got, you've got these different teams that are all playing an important role in driving sustainable growth. And traditionally as organizations grow, those teams become so much more siloed that it's really hard for them to work together. So that, that would be a couple of my key takeaways from you guys is the fact that you, um, it was really that dialing in product market fit that, that marked your entry point into the business as CEO. And then the fact that you have this monthly meeting 
where you're bringing together these, these functional leaders to not just update and report to people on what's going on in their function, but think about that big picture and how to work together to a, a achieve the, the broader goals of the business. And, uh, and then just, you know, have, having all of those parts work together really well is, uh, is, is an important part of driving sustainable growth and, uh, not, not surprising you guys are doing, uh, as, as well as it appears that you're doing. So thank, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. No, thanks a ton for having me, Sean. This has been a lot of fun. All right. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.